Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through Matrix on May the 19th, 2011. I always start off the broadcast by advising newcomers to look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and bookmark all the sites I've got listed there. These are all the official sites I have. They all carry a lot of audios of the shows I've done over the, over the years and they all carry transcripts in English of a lot of the talks too for print-up. And if you want transcripts in other languages, remember to go into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, which uh, will give you a variety to choose from. And remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you. If you want me to keep going, then you can help to support me by buying the books and discs I have for, for sale on the comm site. You can use a personal check from the U.S. to Canada. You can also use an international postal money order to Canada. You can use cash. You can also use PayPal, use the donation button on the comm sites and follow it with an email with name, address and order and I'll get it out to you. Across the rest of the world, same idea. You've got Western Union, MoneyGram and you've got PayPal again to order using the donation button. Remember, straight donations are definitely welcome because everything, as we all know, is skyrocketing as we go into inflation. It's amazing how Canada is so tied to the hip with the U.S., and the cost of living's always been higher here. Anyway, with more taxes and value-added taxes, they call GST here, and various other hidden taxes. But uh, we're certainly going into inflation as well, along with the U.S. tied at the hip. So that's just the way it is. And what I try to do on this broadcast is to bring you a much bigger picture, rather than get you off into emotional anger and so on. And that's generally what articles put out in the mainstream media is meant to do to you, give you something to titillate you for the day, make you angry for the day, or indignant, or kind of blase or whatever. But you're, you're left with your opinion, and they flood us with lots and lots of stories, many of which you will never remember in a, a few days' time anyway. So it's, you try, you, I try to pick the ones that are relevant really to the big world system, that's coming into view. It's already here, technically. The rest of it will get bashed into place through carbon taxes and fanatical scientists that are on the gravy train, as they call it, of big salaries as they warp facts and figures to suit their theories because they must get world government through. It must be based on saving the planet and it must be based on every child being taught that we were all to blame for causing it. That's the whole idea behind this big socialist-type run system run by the fascists at the top or owned by the fascists at the top, because that's what it is. And I laugh when I read the left-wing and the right-wing stories because regardless of the changes in government, the same treaties have been signed for the last 50 years with the United Nations just continue as they go deeper and deeper into more and more treaties that bind us all together. The politicians do musical chairs. They're all appointees. Basically, once they're in uh, they get appointed to different positions. They know nothing about, in fact. What do lawyers know about any of these positions they get put into? And then they do musical chairs with them. Like Canada is very famous for doing musical chairs. 
where you can be in charge of the, the health system one day and maybe a week or two later in charge of the military. So the bu- bureaucrats, the top-level bureaucrats run the show really on behalf of the masters who own the banking system, and etc. And, you know, that's what Winston Churchill said. He said, to fight Hitler, we've got to copy his tactics. He has the bureaucrats on his side. And that's how the world's really, really run. The politicians come and go. They fill their pockets from the lobbyists and they give out the contracts and get their kickbacks. And technically, they're not people you want to mix with anyway. They're basic low-level psychopaths. And when you get their histories, generally after election, you find out just how much debt they're into already, how many scams they've pulled, how many bankruptcies they've been through. And now they're in the big honey pot where they can, they're allowed to scam so much honey out of the pot. Uh, as long as I don't go too far with it. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, and I'm going to talk about, touch on uh, the global warming nonsense, the, the religion they've created, the greening religion. Gorbachev, remember, said years ago that uh, in one of his books, he said, uh, we are in the process of creating a new type of um, earth worship. This is based around, basically, sustainability and so on. He's a top socialist himself, and he still goes around the world giving speeches uh, under a socialist banner, basically. But he he mentioned that this will have to be a kind of green religion, he said, years before we heard the terms used. And so he was in on the know, of course, by those who really put him in place to, to do what he's doing with, with all the rest of them. And, of course, what he also meant, too, is it would be taught as a religion uh, in the school system. And it certainly is and has been for a while now, too, and it's even amazing how much stuff they put into movies and uh, even comedies to do with it. Getting this repetition is all you need to, to reinforce the basic premise, uh, basic scientific um, psychological ploy that they use. And it's, all, it's always worked very well. And one, eventually, actually, once they get what they want, it doesn't matter what lies they use to get it through. And they will. It's the same with wars, too. Lies are used to get war started on all sides. And propaganda is used massively. And it doesn't matter. You know, they must get public support behind them uh, to get it started. Once it's started, it doesn't matter if it's found out or not. That's standard, again, when you read the various military manuals that they have. They must get the war going, get the public behind them. And then if they found out later it's, it's all been a setup or they're, they're like the governments have lied to them, it doesn't matter. They say, we can't pull out now because the country we've invaded will fall into chaos even though it's already bombed into chaos, it'll fall into chaos with no law, etc. And it's the same with all the other lies that they tell you as well. Once this big scam of global warming is rammed through uh, under the United Nations, to, to put the United Nations above all the other nations, remember, this is the whole goal of the United Nations, uh, they'll be able to dictate to every country how much carbon they're allowed to produce and so on and so on and so on and so on. And it's a farce because we're carbon-based life forms and everything else on the planet is as well that lives. That doesn't matter. Reality doesn't matter when it comes to creating a form of religion in order to get another agenda through. It's very much like the, the, the Marxists used to say too, and they would teach their, their students even in Canada, uh, that get into politics by any means possible. Take any party you want. Just get in there. Lie, 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 and get in. Once you're in, then you can do what you want. And Pierre Trudeau took that to heart because he was actually a member of the Comintern 
uh, as far back as the 1950s when he led the delegation from Canada off to the to Moscow representing the common turn for Canada. Anyway, no one wants to know this stuff basically these days. Because we're taught that new is good. New, it's everything else that you buy. It must be, it must be new or it's no use. I mean, like a week, week old is, is old, isn't it? Same with, with history and so on. And those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. There's no doubt in that at all. That's why the same cons work over and over and over again. And even Plato said that too. You can introduce the same, it basically meant a con to control the public. Over again, if the public have been made to accept it in the past, you must know the formula, how it was introduced. If you introduce it in the same way, it doesn't matter in what time you reintroduce it. The public will behave in the same way and adapt to it in the same way too. Old stuff, and again, we're managed by sciences, which are very, very old, and the sciences are kept uh, really for a much higher elite than the ones who attend most universities. And that's the way it really is, like Bertrand Russell said. Anyway, it says, former alarmist scientist says anthropogenic global warming, that's man-made global warming, is based in false science. Uh, David Evans is a scientist. He's also worked in the heart of the AGW machine. He consulted full-time for the Australian Greenhouse Office. Uh, you think it's somewhere where you grow leeks or something, eh? Now the Department of Climate Change from 1999 to 2005 and part-time 2008 to 2010, modelling Australia's carbon and plants, debris, mulch, soils and forestry and agriculture products. He has six university degrees, including a PhD in electrical engineering from Stanford University. The other day he said, the debate about global warming has reached ridiculous proportions and is full of micro-thin half-truths and misunderstandings. I'm a scientist who was on the carbon gravy train, because they're awfully well paid, understands the evidence was once an alarmist, but I'm now a skeptic. And with that, he begins a demolition of the theories, premises and methods by which the AGW scare has been foisted on the public. And then it goes into the politics of it, because everything is political, isn't it? He says, the whole idea that carbon dioxide is the main cause for the recent global warming is based on a guess that it was, was proved false by empirical evidence during the 1990s. But the gravy train was too big with too many jobs, industries, trading profits, political careers, and the possibility of world government and total control riding on the outcome. Now, he's a, a top player, verifying what I said at the beginning. Too many jobs, industries, trading profits, that's a carbon trading schemes the big boys have got, political careers and the possibility of world government and total control. Total. Go to the dictionary and look up total yeah, and control. Writing on the outcome. So rather than admit they were wrong, the governments and their tamed climate scientists now outrageously maintain the fiction that carbon dioxide is a dangerous pollutant. He makes clear he understands that CO2 is indeed a greenhouse gas and makes the point that if all else was equal, then yes, more CO2 in the air should and would mean a warmer planet. But that's where the current science goes off the tracks. It's built on an assumption that is false. And what is the science? It says, but the issue is not whether carbon dioxide warms the planet, but how much. Most scientists on both sides also agree on how much a given increase in the level of carbon dioxide raises the planet's temperature if just the extra carbon dioxide is considered. These calculations come from laboratory experiments. The basic physics have been well known for a century. And what actually happens, actually, if the planet warms for a few years, you'll find that the, warm, that the sea will warm, it lags afterwards, 
And when you're cooling, that's when the sea is still warm and it's giving off carbon dioxide. Anyway, the disagreement comes about what happens next. The planet reacts to that extra carbon dioxide, which changes everything. Most critically, the extra warmth causes more water to evaporate from oceans. But does the water hang around and increase the height of moist air in the atmosphere, or does it simply create more clouds and rain? Back in the 1980s, when the carbon dioxide theory started, no one knew. The alarmists guessed that it would increase the height of moist air around the planet, which would warm the planet even further because moist air is also a greenhouse gas. In fact, most greenhouse gases is moist air. But it didn't increase the height of the moist air around the planet as subsequent studies have shown since that time. However, that theory or premise became the heart of the modeling that was done by the alarmist crowd. So the, law, the modeling is this from the scientists. It says, this is the core idea of every official climate model. For each, each bit of warming due to carbon dioxide, they claim it ends up causing three bits of warming due to the extra moist air. The climate models amplify the carbon dioxide's warming by a factor of three. So these climate models, they're especially made computers and so on. So two-thirds of their projected warming is due to extra moist air and other factors. Only one-third is due to extra carbon dioxide. That's the core of the issue. All the disagreements and misunderstandings spring from this the alarmist case is based on this guess about moisture is that the atmosphere and, and that there is simply no evidence for the amplification that is at the core of their alarmism. What did they find when they tried to prove the theory? Whether balloons had been measuring the atmosphere since the 1960s, many thousands of them every year. The climate models all predict that as the planet warms, a hot spot of moist air will develop over the tropics about 10 kilometers up as a layer of moist air expands upwards into the cool, dry air above. During the warming of the late 1970s, 80s, and 90s, the weather balloons found no hot spot. None at all. Not even a small one. This evidence proves that the climate models are fundamentally flawed, that they greatly overestimate the temperature increases due to carbon dioxide. The evidence first became clear around the mid-1990s. Then it says, Evans is not the first to come to these conclusions. Earlier this year in a post I highlighted, Richard Lindzen said the very same thing. And Lindzen said, for warming since 1979, there's a further problem. The dominant role of cumulus convection in the tropics requires that temperatures approximately follow what is called a moist adiabatic profile. This requires that warming in the tropical upper troposphere be two to three times greater than the, at the surface. Indeed, all models do show this, but the data doesn't. <laughs> so the models and the computers all show it, but the actual factual data doesn't. And this means that something is wrong with the data. It is well known that above two kilometers, the tropical temperatures are pretty homogeneous and they are horizontal, so sampling is not a problem. Below two kilometers, roughly the height of what is referred to as the trade wind inversion, there's much more horizontal variability, and therefore there's a profound sampling problem. Under the circumstances, it's reasonable to conclude that the problem resides in the surface data and that the actual trend at the surface is about 60% too large. So surface data will always give you a 60% higher reading. Even the claimed trend is larger than what models would have projected, but for the inclusion of an arbitrary fudge factor due to aerosol cooling, uh, the discrepancy was reported by Linz in 2007 and by Douglas in 2007 as well. Inevitably, in climate science, when data conflicts with models, a small coterie of scientists can be counted on to modify the data. When we found that out with the leaked emails and so on, 
a small coterie of scientists can be counted upon to modify the data. And he said earlier, global governance is riding on this. And total control. That's over everything. You, everything. Anyway, Evans reaches the natural conclusion, the same conclusion Lindzen reached. At this point, official climate science stopped being a science, and science empirical evidence always trumps theory, no matter how much you are in love with the theory. But if theory and evidence disagree, real scientists scrap the theory. But official climate science ignored the crucial weather balloon evidence and other subsequent evidence that backs it up, and instead clung to the carbon dioxide theory that just happens to keep them in well-paying jobs with lavish research grants and gives great political power to their governments, their governmental masters. And it goes on and on, but I'll put this up, cutting through the com after the broadcast. Back in a moment. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and something's been a spook, a spook as I call them, spies, because spooks, it's a a shady world of spookdom, I call it spookdom, because you never know who's who, even a lot of the spooks don't know who the other spooks are, or if they do, they don't know if they're double spooks, double agents, or triple agents, or whatever they are, because most of the spooks have no real qualms of accepting cash from other countries or whatever. I mean, it's just the way they are. A lot. It's interesting, the whole idea of spookdom, in fact, because I remember reading an article where an RCMP undercover cop went into biking gangs and he actually got more bonded with the gang members than he did with the guys in the RCMP. He, he thought they were more reliable to help you out in trouble than his own mates in the RCMP. Anyway, getting off the, t- the subject, but this is about a spook that... Uh, uh, he was set out, I've, I've mentioned for years now, since 9-11 happened, after listening to the, one of the first BBC broadcasts on sting operations, where they would hire people from within Muslim communities to act as ringleaders, to stir up uh, angst against Britain uh, on the internet and so on, and get away with it all, saying nasty things, and again, get, get away with it. And young, impressionable guys would probably get in on the act too and they make a hero out of him. He'd set them up in collusion with the governmental authorities and then in would come the operation to sting them with bomb-making equipment or whatever. The same thing happened in Canada a few years ago and the guy who actually set up the sting was working for CSIS. That's the the Canadian Security and Intelligence Service and the RCMP, and he actually appeared afterwards kind of quite happy about himself, chuffed, you call it, very chuffed looking uh, for having done his bit, dressing his traditional garb and all the rest of it. And I think this is the same guy that the article is about. It's from the CBC Canada. It says Mubin Shaikh um, uh, probably understands better than most what inclusion in the cable means. A cable basically was sent from the Canadian Security Intelligence Services and the RCMP to the U.S. Security Services, and his name was on it. And it says, um, it's on, it's, it's, uh, his name is on the, the list of these suspected terrorists. And it says, it's a list of people provided by Canada's intelligence agency to the U.S. 
government, people suspected of what CSIS calls terrorist-related activity. The names are now in American databases and watch lists with all the consequences that that entails. Along with Shaikh, the secret cable provided to the CBC News by WikiLeaks names all the people originally arrested in the infamous Toronto 18 case in 2006, some of whom went on to prison on terrorism-related charges. This is the young guys that this guy helped sting. And it says, um, Shaikh knows the other names on the list well. He was the man who put them away. He's a Muslim and a Canadian citizen. Shaikh was recruited in 2004 as what CSIS calls a directed source, someone assigned to penetrate groups and cells suspected of planning violent attacks. Now, in Britain, they actually admitted at the top that they were creating the groups that didn't exist by putting these guys out in front, uh, who were very, very vocal, who would attract admirers, especially young, uh, young men, basically and um, who were easily impressed by it. Anyway, it says he'd volunteered his services after returning to Canada from Syria, where he'd lived for two years. 2005, once he determined that a large group of Toronto in Toronto was plotting serious attacks, the case, along with Shaikh, was handed over uh, by CISIS over to the Mounties, who launched a criminal investigation. Shaikh became an official paid agent of the Crown and continued his undercover work for the RCMP until they rounded up and charged the 18 alleged conspirators. At that point, Shaikh became the Crown star witness, testifying in five different criminal proceedings that sent several people to prison. It was his evidence that took them all down, Alberta lawyer Dennis Edley. Edney told CBC Wednesday night, Edney represented Fahim Aman, a ringleader who eventually pleaded guilty and remains in prison. Most of the warrants for wiretaps were obtained were obtained as a result of conversations he had with the suspects. Sheikh proved himself nearly bulletproof to attempts by defence lawyers to discredit him. There's no doubt of his value to Canadian authorities or to Canadian justice system, and now described uh, described to the Americans by his former employers as involved in the Toronto 18 conspiracy. He is in at least three American counterterrorism databases and knows he would be ill-advised to attempt travel to the United States. So, so basically, they've turned over his name as well, the guy that they'd recruited to sting other people. He says, I understand the consequences, he says. Inclusion in the so-called Visa Viper watch list, is what's called Visa Viper, to which he was nominated by the U.S. Embassy in Ottawa in September 2009, and the cable indicates he'd already been placed on another U.S. watch list, means his name would also have been sent to the wider databases of the American National Counterterrorism Center and possibly beyond to other intelligence agencies, some of them rather unsavory, with whom the U.S. government shares intelligence. How, how can your government share intelligence with unsavory characters? As it bombs across the world to bring this open democracy. <laughs> this is just the tip of the iceberg, says Shaikh. I think someone's got some explaining to do. It just doesn't make any sense, really. Anyway, that CSIS has nothing to say about it, uh, and um, you don't expect them to say anything anyway. The story, however, has nothing to do with foreign affairs and everything to do with CSIS, which had claimed to CBC News earlier this week that it was a careful, responsible steward of information about Canadians. Anyway, the leak got out, and the guy's in a, a band list, so he can't go to the U.S. now. And uh, if, he's advi- if he's wise, he wouldn't go abroad now either. And, uh, uh, well, that's, what, that's the price of being a spook, I guess, isn't it? Back with more after this break.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix and as we go down this path into the chaos that's all planned, we're really in the chaos. As a war is going on, mind you, a world war is going on right now, a war to change not just countries across the planet, but to merge countries too into blocks and also to put it all under the auspices of the United Nations eventually. Very old plan going back to the 1800s and Karl Marx even talked about it. And you maybe use a bit different terms. You talked about global governance and, and like that kind of stuff and trading blocks. It would be under this global governmental system. But um, on the way to it, of course, we have all this the hassles now of finishing off the last few countries that are different from everybody else in that they have a, a religion which is also part of the way that they govern. It's all through their society. And the UN, of course, when it started up, said they'd take all peoples in with their, with their, their present governmental systems and they weren't prejudiced and so on. And really, since George Bush Jr. was in with the new American century with revolutionary democracy where they'd, they'd invade countries and force democracy on them. So they changed all their tactics. But then they, all, they always lie at the top, don't they? It's what they're really, they're really after, isn't it? They always do that, you know, to get along. And... It's the same thing with uh, finishing off the Middle East because every country that they've been using the soft power, they're funding the internal revolutions uh, and then filling it up or backing it up with uh, military strikes from NATO and so on. Um, every country has been taken down practically except the, the last couple, including Iran. And they're really at it now with Iran. The same list that they came out with in the early 90s from the New American Century Group as the same list they're going through today. And this article here is from Press TV. It says, the Israeli lobby in the U.S. is pushing President Barack Obama to go to war with Iran and the Middle East countries and need to be on guard about this plot, says a political analyst. Israel lobby, AIPAC, which is the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, is pushing for confrontation with Iran, James Morris told Press TV in an interview on Thursday. Morris said it was worrying that Obama's national security advisor, Tom Donilon, has called on the Washington Institute for Near East Affairs to take a stronger action against Iran. The analyst added that neoconservatives in the U.S. are also plotting against Syria. Well, forget the neoconservatives, because they're all exactly the same following. Even Rumsfeld congratulated Obama on following the same list, basically. Anyway, and they're plotting against Syria uh, since Damascus supports the Lebanese resistance movements of Hezbollah. What's happening in Syria with the protests? I think the neocons through the National Endowment for Democracy, that was that revolutionary democracy group, have been involved with this, perhaps in terms of rabble-rousing in Syria, Morris said. They want to create strife there in Syria and get President Barack Obama to intervene like he did in Libya, he said. Morris urged the Middle East countries to be vigilant against the U.S. and Israel's plots in, in this region. The only thing I can say is to be ready for more war. It's all part of a plan to get an eventual war for Israel against Iran and Syria, and the region really has to be on guard about this. We just have to watch out for that. Now, a few years ago, they had all that stuff from the Israeli press, too, when Bush was in, because they came up with the same list that the New American Century Group in the U.S. had come up with, with the same countries to be taken down. 
and, and even the order that it would be taken down uh, on to. So we're just going through an agenda and a script. And, and most of the big things that happen on the planet are all this part of this big script. You get rather bored when you know it all and you've read and studied it all and you can remember most of it. You get kind of bored kind of going through day by day watching these things come into view and happen. And then it's all, it's all a mystery when it happens again, even though it's been written about years ago. <laughs> and um, Russia, here's another one too, Russia. I mean, the U.S. is now starting to put missiles in all the countries around Russia, which is not a nice thing to do if you're trying to make peace, you know. And uh, so Russia is giving out uh, warnings now. It's in Wednesday, Russian President Dmitry Medvedev warned that his country would take retaliatory measures if the U.S. continues with the construction of the so-called missile defense system, the AFP reported. It says, we, Russia, would then be talking about developing the offensive potential of our nuclear capabilities. This would be a very bad scenario. It would be a scenario that throws us back into the Cold War era, the Russian president said during a press conference. Medvedev warned of an early pullout from the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty if the deployment of the missile shield goes ahead in the absence of Russia. So... They always say that, that the countries that, that are, are all, all, all countries technically, it doesn't matter if it's socialist or fascist, are all fascist by nature. And fascism goes down at the end in exactly this way where they, they can only exist on war. And then when everything's conquered, what do they do then? What do they do? You can't just plunder and plunder and plunder countries when you're, when you're making nothing back home except bombs and, and, and drones and all this kind of stuff. Well, We'll live through this, don't worry, as it will go down the tubes into poverty, which they call austerity. But anyway, um, the, also he said the FBI is really on about domestic terror. They've got to find terror everywhere, obviously, to justify all the thousands and thousands and multi-thousands of jobs they've created under Homeland Security. You cannot create even a, a, a police force if there's no crime. Eventually they start laying off members, and any... Any system you set up in bureaucracy has to multiply itself and then prove how necessary it is to the system by finding crime or whatever, or bringing in more cash, or getting cops on the, on, on, on the streets to ticket people, whatever it is. And then they start trying to justify and rationalize why you need them. So not much is happening in the way of domestic uh, terror right now. And it says um, the FBI considers this group... Uh, and it's the, the Sovereign Citizens Movement. Um, uh, the, the, it says it includes here cop killers and a convicted Oklahoma City bomber. They call themselves Sovereign Citizens and have taken various measures to fight the U.S. government, but now the government is fighting back. Sovereign Citizens, uh, citizens are a loosely organized group of people who claim that they are not subject to governmental laws. Estimates suggest there are many as 300,000 sovereign citizens in the U.S. Sovereign citizens have been known to oppose taxes, file liens, against public officials, sign documents with a red thumbprint, and use homemade license plates. Some sovereign citizens focus on the role of government, a relatable, much-debated issue in the U.S. Alfred Adask told uh, 60 Minutes, I think the government has gone far beyond its constitutional limits. The problem is where they draw the line. Adask once said, we have the right to keep and bear arms in order to shoot our own politicians. And that is what you know Franklin and others actually mentioned and. Uh, to do with um, the right to bear arms. The violence used by some sovereign citizens is cause for serious concern. Anyway, this is an article by 60 Minutes, so you know the spin that will be on it anyway. 
and uh, where it's to go. But it's it's true. If you have if you if you have no right of free speech, you know, then what do you back it up with? And that's why they had them written in that manner in the Constitution, which now is a terrorist document if you read it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's just how the th- way things go. And again, too, I can remember reading a long, long time ago of, I don't know if it was Aristotle that said it, but it's one of the old philosophers, but he, he talked about the brutality, the brutality that was used to civilize a country. He says, civilization is a very brutal process as they went plundering in those days to grab the loot and resources and stuff from other countries. And always under the guise of bringing them civilization, the Romans carried on that torch after them, and it's still going on today. But um, to see the Queen going to Southern Ireland, and um, or, to, or to Ireland, I should say, and parade around there being greeted, where you can't even fly the flag, by the way, the Irish flag, uh, it's, put a, it's upset a lot of people because there's a long history in Ireland of incredible suffering uh, and slaughter as well because all, going all the way back to Queen Elizabeth I. You know. And uh, they were using Ireland as a breadbasket. Many of the ancient uh, ministers, as they call them around the, the monarchy, actually referred to Ireland as the breadbasket that would feed the British uh, and all the troops abroad for the empire and stuff like that. And they actually did that too. They, they looted the country and actually caused the famine. People think that the people just lived on potatoes. Absolute nonsense. At that time, uh, there was more exports out of Ireland going on than ever before. And they were getting enforced by at the point of uh, the Queen's uh, military at that time. But anyway, it says, I've got two or three articles here. And one is about the, the flag itself, police seizing and destroying Irish flags for Queen's visit just under legislation, under ju- unjust legislation. Independent journalist Madame Kay, her name is, uh, was stopped at a newly erected police barrier in Dublin today during the visit of the German pseudo-English Queen, Saxe-Coburg-Gotha-Wetten. That's usually Prussian, you know, Prussian here. The Garda told her that under the warrant, you can't have a flag at the moment. So this, this reporter wasn't allowed to have, carry a flag with her, even uh, in her purse. You know. uh, the, uh, the act she referenced was a Public Order Act, Section 21. It states, indicate that to proceed beyond the barrier, everyone was going through barriers, you know, uh, these electronic barriers and magnetic resonance stuff to see what you're carrying on you. While in possession of any intoxicating liquor, indisposable drink container, or offensive article will render such liquor, container, or article liable to confiscation. The bit she means is the offensive article. That's what we're reduced to in this country. There was probably a tricolor flying as that Brigandra took an oath to serve her country, ahem, uh, and now she's reduced to confiscating them for the royals. So in other words, the cops confiscated her flag, uh, even though it wasn't listed on any of the stuff that under Section 21. Not to offend the Queen, you see. Uh, who must be kept under the illusion that she still rules the world, I suppose. But anyway, there's that. And then there's uh, another article on uh, the state dinner menu for the Queen's visit there. And it's all to be paid for by the taxpayers of Ireland. They're awfully nice people. And um, it's a state dinner menu for Britain's Queen paid for with Irish taxpayers' money whilst the poverty-stricken Irish that have just been, remember, looted by the banks, even worse than some other countries. That's why their citizens get austerity. 
And it says, I make no apology for my disgust of this creature who has been invited to the soil of Ireland by her presence by a traitorous and corrupt political elite so that she may lord it over her Irish peasantry who she believes she owns. And this is from Neil Foster. It says, and by the way, RTE, get it right. Uh, this witch is only the Queen of England, if even that. It's interesting, too, if you look at the modern definition of England, it doesn't exist. It's really under Britain. You know. No kidding, and look at some of the big modern dictionaries. It says, take a look at the menu for these parasites to stick their eugenicist snouts in at the expense of the beleaguered Irish taxpayer who have been given draconian austerity measures to impoverish them even further. It really does make me feel sick to the stomach to watch this despotic family walk the streets of Dublin and with contempt endemic in her family history for the people of Ireland, daily wreaths to, or poppies to commemorate Irish freedom fighters who died fighting her family's despotism, whilst her own gullible military are losing their lives protecting the same opium trade which built her family's evil British empire. And that's the truth there. They still own the opium trade. Yeah. What is wrong with uh, people that uh, they haven't turned out in their tens of thousands express utter contempt for this display of maximum arrogance and affrontery to the memory of those killed in the massacre of Croke Park, again by this despot's family? I believe in forgiveness if the perpetrators are truly sorry for their actions, but if anyone seriously thinks that these inbred inbred tyrants are are sorry for any of their past evils and those they're still perpetrating to this day, then get on your knees, slaves, and worship royalty while they rape you of everything uh, you or your family has ever accumulated with their criminal banking cartels to assist. Ain't that the truth, though, eh? What is wrong with people when they actually believe that these parasitical murders are better people than they are because they're, they've privileged or they've pillaged over every other nation on the planet? And that's true. When I was young, I used to be around all the castles and um, because I was really intrigued by them. It wasn't just how huge they were. It was, it was the dates that they were, they were actually built and how thick they were and the kind of money from the peasantry that must have been looted from them and countries too to build these incredible, massive uh, castles so that the, 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 these regals could live inside them in safety. And they often built them on top of, of cliffs, etc. And, uh, and today it would run into the trillions to build some of them. And these were built early on when the, the Normans came in, basically. And, um, and, and again, inside too, the palatial fireplaces they'd have for their get-togethers in the winter, the fireplace is 12 to 15 feet wide and 6 feet high. And they'd have the, the peasants throwing logs on for them, of course, and stuff like that. But, I mean, you couldn't believe how they lived. And they were utterly ruthless. And what I used to do, too, was go around... Uh, you'd always find the torture chambers and the condemned cells and stuff, often buried into the, the mountain that the castles were built on. And these little dingy places, much like today, where they torture people, nothing much changes when it works. Why change it? Uh, you, could, you could hardly lie down, never mind stand up. And you'd have no window or maybe a little thing about four inches square, if you're lucky. And uh, just just dirt floor and um, uh, you lay on the floor. That's how you slept. And they often rounded people up when they got in. Any, any disturbances at all, just like Lenin did too, you just grab a bunch of peasants and hang them and leave them to rot to scare the rest. That's what that was part of his motto. And he, of course, learned this from royal families a long time ago by reading their histories. And what they'd do was just grab peasants and, and make a big demonstration of them in public 
and then locked them up for years. Make sure the public and the villages, etc., always knew this, these people were locked up. And then once they were old and crippled and they couldn't even stand up straight because of the height of the cells, and they looked like some walking corpse, they'd release them and let them go to, to further terrify the general public that if they said or did anything, they'd end up in the same boat, the same condition. And it's so true. It's so, so true. You know, you know it was only recently, about a year or two ago, that the great Lord Kitchener, Lord Kitchener was one of the big army generals that helped uh, conquer parts of Africa and India and different places. And, of course, the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of International Affairs, have been writing their history books since the early 1900s. Winston Churchill talked about that. He said he didn't know that the guys who were causing the wars and financially uh, profiting off the wars, he meant the Royal Institute of International Affairs at that time under the Milner Group and the Rhodes Society, uh, are also the ones who are giving our school children right up to university level their history books. They were writing their histories as well. Nothing's changed. Anyway, Kitchener, uh, under the Official Secrets Act, I think it was locked up for 100 years or something with Kitchener, his great tactic was just to go into the towns that were causing him trouble and take all the males out uh, by the hundreds and have them all shot down. And that's why it was put under the Official Secrets Act. But it's okay to tell us today, not anyone cares. People don't care anymore, you see. And if you think anything has actually changed, then I really, really am scared of you. Scared of you, why? Because, you see, you'll be the willing follower for fascism or for communism or any kind of Marxism. You will be a willing follower going through the same game and being used by the same kind of characters that have been used in the past. So you do scare me. Ignorance scares me. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. I also put two articles up on, on the protest in Ireland as well. And we'll go to the callers now. There's Luke from Vermont there. You're there, Luke. Yep, hi. Yes. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Um, I just noticed a couple things. First of all, we have to look at, uh, we have to listen to people tell us that they want to reduce our numbers in their books and on the Georgia Guidestones, but if we ever open our mouths and say, hey, we want to reduce some of their numbers, we're going away. Yeah, of course, and they're ready for it too. Uh, they're ready for the crash, the, the, the bigger crash to come yet. They're ready for when they really, really force austerity upon the U.S. citizenry, and you will have no uh, extra spending cash at all, the essentials only, if you're lucky to even get them. They're, they've been preparing for that in the U.S. for 30 years, by the way. Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely true. I've seen the, I've, well, I was about to dramatize there. I'm, I'm still in video game land. I went to a mental hospital for opening my mouth up to a doctor, mm-hmm. and uh, I went in for like three weeks, and I had to take pills. Yeah. And uh, you know the, the mapping, the whole layout of this building I was at was the shape of a brain. You know, yeah, yeah, I don't know yeah. if that's apparent, <laughs> yeah. but it certainly seemed like it to me. Uh, 
before I went in. I will, I will say that to be honest. Yeah. Um, but anyway, while I was inside there, I noticed something in a magazine, and it was, um, it was an ad for Power Bar. And because you're always talking about symbology, and yeah. I thought this might have had some. It said, "Power bar." There was a guy on top of a mountain, and there were three mountains, uh, two others surrounding him, that, and then the one he was on. And the caption said, "Happy he ate power bar. Sad he forgot flag." And I was like thinking to myself, "Wow, yeah. that sounds incredibly similar." And there was yeah. a little pentagon <laughs> symbol and. You'll see the same three mountains in one of the big movie companies as well, and then they surround it with uh, 22 stars. It used to be th- it used to be 32 stars they used, and it's down to 22 stars now. But it's the same three mountains you're seeing there, and you're, you're right enough. It's a Masonic symbol. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, and a lot of people too. Uh, the Soviet Union were famous for locking people up. Remember too for their views, and just like they are in America now. They diagnosed everything as an illness. So they could always get you on one or another. Even poor mathematics in, in America now is diagnosed as, as an illness. You could be a genius in, in English literature, but if you're bad at mathematics, they'll classify as mentally ill. And I'm not kidding, that's in the, the, their manual now. Uh, even nervous leg syndrome, you know, that children get when you're sitting there for too long and your neck, sta- your, neck your, your leg starts fidgeting, that's classified as an illness. They've got pills for that. They've got pills for everything. And they've got pills for your points of view as well. So really, uh, see, all systems, as I say, eventually become the same. They're really all the same systems. No matter what ideology they pretend they're under, it's run by a small clique that must stand around their, the tenants of their, their system and parrot everything, even though it's completely, just like global warming, if all the facts don't fit, it doesn't matter. They, they've got to hang on to it like a religion to the end. And they, they destroy everything in the process and all of you in the process to get their way too. And that's a sad thing, again, which history does teach us. But, uh, but thanks for calling. And Hitler said the same thing about Germany. At the end, the very end, he says, if, if Germany can't win, then, then they should all die. They're not fit. He believed in the Darwinian principle, you see. Uh, so that's the way it is. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, good night. And may your God or your God school with you. <laughs>